Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mind Your Marketing. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today on the show is Chip House. He is the CMO at Insightly, a CRM platform. We get into all things CRM, who Insightly is good for, how Chip and his team market themselves against some of the behemoths out there in the space, and also some of the similarities between music and marketing. I enjoyed this one. But before we get into it, we put on the show at Cave. We are a social media first agency helping companies with everything from sourcing content, creating content, to creating things like performance, ad creative, you name it. If you need to scale anything with social media, head over to cavesocial.com. We would love to help you out. But now let's get to the meat and potatoes of the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hey, Chip, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Jordan? I am doing well. Excited to have you on the show. I want to hop right in and get into you know the meat and potatoes of marketing CRM. And in particular, when somebody comes and they think, oh, I need to get a CRM for my, my company. Okay, our sales team needs this. We have a sales leader that they come in. And there's that saying, you know, nobody's ever gotten fired for picking Xerox. Well, you know, it makes sense to pick the default, the behemoth in the space. And I think a lot of people in the sales space will just default Salesforce, right? Right. And I know that that's a, a very complex system and probably not doesn't fit all sizes of businesses perfectly. How do you go about educating and empowering consumers to see if Insightly is maybe the better choice for their business? Yeah, I mean, I think you already said the crux of it. What, what I would initially say is it's Salesforce isn't right for every business, right? I mean, it's a great company, great platform. They've been around for, what, 25 years almost thus far. But, in you know, when you think about it, their initial value prop was they were cloud, right? Now, now everybody's cloud, right? And so they kind of built their platform primarily through acquisition, certainly through engineering as well. But it's a large, complex platform. And so if I'm an individual sales guy at a company, I should be focused on my value and my organization's value to get something out of the platform that I'm, I'm going to buy. And so in that scenario, I want to know, will I like to use it? Will my reps like to use it? Will my CS team and my marketing team like to use it and put data into it and get value from it? Because, I mean, ultimately, it's that kind of org level value that I think you're seeking when you when you adopt a new piece of technology and you're trying to maintain data that allows you to interact with your customers, right? So it's like super, super important data. And so last year, Jordan, we researched, did a survey with Ascend2 partners of 500 folks across sales, marketing, CS, ops, and asked them, hey, tell us about your experience with CRM and what kind of CRM you bought. We found that it was like 35% of organizations that had 50 and fewer employees were buying, you know, a like what they would call like a legacy enterprise tier CRM. They probably mean Salesforce, right? So, which probably means they're spending 100 grand, 200 grand when they could be spending 10, right? And so, for a small company, I mean, the total cost of ownership honestly is a big differentiator and almost if we're on trying to convince somebody of that, we just have to show them our pricing, right? I mean, that's number 1. Number 2, we show them an ROI study that we did that shows how quickly companies reach productivity and value on our platform versus the other platforms. They're, they're doing it several months faster. Makes sense, right? Like if I put on my business owner hat for this part of it to go, okay, 
I approach and I've got my team and, you know, we have a small sales team, let's say five, six people. And I go, okay, what's the downside risk, right? And if I see the downside risk of a behemoth, sometimes it's like, like you're saying, implementation, then I need to hire a consultant to make Salesforce work properly for me and all these things. And it, before I know it, I'm 100K in. Entirely. And I've gone like, I haven't even sold anything yet. So I definitely understand if you can sell that simple in a positive way, the simple price structure, simply what you get also for businesses at, you know, like you're saying the under 50 employees or around that where it shouldn't be as complex, right? I think a lot of things like from the Insightly sales process itself through to the actual customer when they're taking it on and moving forward with the program, which I'm very interested how this works. You know, marketers, we love to create the message. We love to promote the product. We love to drive leads. We love to do all those things. And a lot of times the sales team can be positioned as an adversary within an org. But with something like, you know, selling CRM, there's, I'm assuming that the Insightly sales team is absolutely pivotal for you all to learn actually like what are the pain points that salespeople face? What should we be implementing? What actually should we be messaging? How closely do you all work with your sales team on kind of you know, perfecting or, or working towards perfection of the marketing message? Well, super closely, I guess, is the answer. So I've been in, you know, SaaS, B2B SaaS marketing for about 25 years now. And, and Insightly is the first company I've been at where we have two motions because we really have a self-serve product-led growth motion. And then we also have a direct selling motion. And so when we're selling through our sales team, you know, we're, we're generally selling orgs that have 10 or more employees, often 50 or more. You know, and so I think we, since we're partnered so closely with them, we know the metrics that the salespeople care about. You know, we know what they're trying to do day in, day out with their messaging, with pipeline management. But of course, you know, we're, we ask them. So, you know, we're, we're engaged on a regular basis with our sales team, trying to learn how they get value from our software and help take that messaging and communicate it to our potential prospects. We have a, well, I should say our marketing and our sales ops function together like a rev ops, right? I mean, it, it's very joined at the hip in terms of the metrics that matter across both organizations. That's number one. We have a shared dashboard, a shared tracking sheet that we look at. And we have, you know, point level leaders, whether it's ops or demand gen with SDRs getting together during any specific week. And then we have a, a sales and marketing leadership all of the you know directors and above basically from the team to get together weekly and review the pipe, review key issues, talk about campaigns. And so it's very deliberate. Insightly is, I see on LinkedIn, 134 employees. How many are in the marketing arm, give or take? Oh, marketing is 10 people. Nice. And out of that, so 10. I like that because I assume there's a lot of cross-function with uh, a team of 10 people kind of helping each other, doing working on different content pieces. How much time are you spending you know, I know you have, you all have your own podcast, you have some things out there. How much time are you spending, you know, kind of conducting the orchestra, but also, you know, playing in the band? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. I do both, you know, I, as a CMO. I mean, I, I think it's, it's part of the job description to be part of a quote unquote startup and be a CMO. You have to come out of the clouds, you know, you have to come out of your office and truly engage and you have to know how stuff works because I think you're actually looking at what the data is selling you, you're tweaking levers and things like that. And so, yeah, whether it's product marketing and I'm writing messaging, I still write some blogs. 
I do our, our our podcast and our YouTube show, log into occasionally myself, you know, our Google uh, analytics or our LinkedIn advertising platform, you know, just to monitor how things are going on my own. And so, but it's, you know, generally it's about hiring a great team and getting out of the way, but it's, I trust them to turn the levers, but I, I know what's happening. So, I mean, by the way, you were sort of teeing me up there, by the way. <laughs> Because I, before we started talking, you know, I mentioned that I was a drummer, right? And I feel like I have the, a unique perspective. I feel like there's actually a decent amount of musicians that are marketers. And I've always considered myself more of a drummer than a musician, by the way, frankly. I, I like hanging out with musicians, but generally I see myself as the rhythm and them as the band. You know, I can't do what they do. I can't write. I can't sing that well. I can't play guitar or bass or anything like that. You know, so I'm truly more like the backbone of the end production. And I think that's a super apt metaphor for marketing too, right? And what I try to do as a servant leader for my marketing team is I'm trying to be, you know, the the beat and the backbone and provide direction. Yeah. It's also, I think an apt comparison too, even if you think of, you know, the salespeople maybe have the microphone and they're singing sometimes or they're shaking hands afterwards, but to give the sales team the cover it needs, the air cover, so that they know when they go out and that customer then comes through a natural discovery or they Google, hey, what's Insightly or what CRM should I get or you know, whatever they get to. And they're able to see this message that really aligns with that experience they had when they you know, saw an ad or they talked to somebody or what have you that it really, like you're saying, that backbone is there and the messaging is consistent. It's on beat. It's not jumping all over the place. You know, I, I've been told I don't have rhythm. So, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> so, so my, so I shouldn't be leading that, that part of the messaging, but I like that metaphor though, thinking about really the drums, you know, kind of keeping the beat, keeping the pulse for the rest of the department to go and execute and create all that great content. Now, there's a couple of things I think are really interesting with Insightly in particular, having this, for lack of a better term, organic product led, you know, growth side of things, but then also having the outbound side mm -hmm. in sales. And that kind of teeters the line between, you know, the B2B, the account based management or marketing stuff, and then also getting some general, the podcast, the YouTube, the blogs. How are you all, I guess, splitting resources, you know, among that 10 to go and say, okay, how much of it is like direct sales support and how much of it is going out, creating new pieces of, you know, inbound lead generating content? I mean, I think that the cool thing is that we can serve both masters, if you will, with, with a lot of the same campaigns, you know, so generally, if we're going to build a campaign, that's for LinkedIn or for or it's for Google. I mean, that's very similar anyway, creative and messaging for most segments, frankly, right? And so whether that's being consumed by a five-person org or a 50-person org, often it doesn't matter. It does in certain situations, you can certainly understand, you know, but that's either going to drive an inbound demo request, which would go to the sales team if it's a certain size org or, or an inbound free trial right, which goes self-serve that our sales team might engage with if the org, you know, is a good fit. And I would say the bulk of the energy, though, has been unit economics look better, right? Just speaking like somebody who's running a business, the larger the deal size you do, right? And so one of the things that I've been able to do with our, our sales and marketing team here at Insightly is increase the average contract value by targeting lar larger orgs, by cross-selling into our existing base by 
bundling, we added an all-in-one product. So some people choose to adopt our entire platform versus just the CRM or just the marketing automation. They'll adopt you know, CRM, marketing automation, our App Connect integration tool, and our services tool, right? And so by being able to bundle those together, we've been able to increase the average contract value, which makes our overall economics as a business look better. When you go to, to tap existing customers, has there been something or a certain tactic or something that you found that really works to re-engage those folks who've maybe purchased once to come back again or to increase their purchase to go for a bundle? Maybe they were you know, just on CRM and now to have them you know, level up, so to speak, with regards to you know, getting more products from Insightly. I mean, first thing I would say, you know, to answer that question is you have to take care of your customers and make them successful, first of all, right? So, you know, generally they're paying a per user pricing. And so if they're scaling as an organization, that's great. And they're not going to add additional seats to Insightly if they're not happy with how you help them implement and how you help them be successful, how you help them integrate their own tools. And so that's job one. But kind of once you're there, I think, you know, so much of it is, you know, customer marketing. One of the people on the market team is a customer marketing professional, right? So, you know, responsible for educating, upselling, satisfying, helping retain our existing base of customers. And a big piece of that is identifying who are the promoters, you know, and who can be a story, um, who's using the software in a compelling way that shows ROI that we're proud of and being able to demonstrate that to other marketers. So I think people ultimately are going to really care more about what one of our customers says about Insightly than what we say about Insightly. And so we try to surface those stories as much as possible to sell our product into our customer base. I love that there's a, uh, a dedicated person for that role that's because I see so many times in orgs, customer service gets punted. It's overseas and it falls outside of marketing. And I'm always like, <sighs> Oh, account management CS, like this is the real touch point with customers. And so hearing that you all have that, you know, a person going through and really making sure there's account success is awesome. And then two, having those signals or what have you in place to go, oh, how do we identify the champions, right? How do we figure out the people who are championing our brand and become these evangelists? Because I, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately that marketers are so obsessed with just cost per customer acquisition or just like, oh, what? What were the MQLs? What were our quarterly leads? What's pipeline? But I really, I want to almost have cost per evangelist normalized. Like what was our cost per evangelist to get somebody out there who's singing our praises and is out there, you know, really driving word of mouth marketing for the org. So I love that y'all have that, you know, able to kind of identify or at least go out and and see who are the people that you can, you know, put the spotlight on because they're going to return it tenfold. My favorite version of the marketing funnel is John Jansch's Hourglass, right? And so no like, trust, try, buy, repeat, refer. You've probably seen that, Jordan. But uh, the repeat, refer, we lean into big time. And I know that from our how did you hear about us field on our demo request form that about 20% of our demo requests come from customer referrals. And between 7 and 10% come from former users that went to another company. And they're like, hey, I liked Insightly. I want to bring it along, right? And so you're talking about 30% of our potential business is coming from how we treat our customers and the experience that they have on our platform. And so, you know, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss out on that 30%. Yeah, I love that. And it's substantial, right? When you get to this, the 30% figure and you go, oh, okay people are uh, decision makers. That's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Now, 
Is there a particular segment that Insightly or industries you think that Insightly is good for versus maybe others? Is there, you know, when we're thinking about the buyer persona or your target buyer, is there a, a kind of a set of industries that you would say, hey, okay, hey, we really work, you know, for agencies or or what have you. And maybe we're not good for other things. There are car dealerships. I, I don't know, right? Is there mm-hmm. internally, is that outlined? Or could you tell the, the listeners if they're listening and saying, hey, okay, would Insightly be something I should check out? Yeah, I think we play in all industries and it's pretty well distributed. I think, you know, there's a slight, if I think about like our top three professional services is one, and that's a relatively broad category, manufacturing financial services, and then probably technology at the top four, probably. But like I said, it's dispersed across all industries. And we're seeing lots of growth in a few. And one of the areas we're seeing growth in is healthcare, and like especially healthcare technology as it relates to SaaS. We're seeing more of that come in. And the second is solar, I think partly because, and clean energy in general, partly because it's such a fast growing business, but I think also because they're getting unique value from the fact that we are a single database and a single view of the customer that allows them to sell, to market, to support, and to manage projects. So like a solar company will do all those things on our, on our platform and quickly con- convert a sale to a customer to install solar panels on their home to an installation project where they manage the installation to ongoing support of that customer on the platform. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so um, we sort of have a unique value prop for that type of company. It really applies to roofing or a lot of other construction type businesses too that also get value of the platform. But I think we're seeing cool growth in clean energy because it's just a fast growing space. I think you're also seeing with things like you say, roofing, for instance, or H, I mean, HVAC kind of already been there, but yeah. a lot of industries are having adapting to tech and feel and seeing, you know, anecdotally, I've seen a lot of guys I went to college with are taking over their dad's business, you know, their dad's roofing business or anything like that. And they're being like, okay, we're not doing this in Excel anymore. Like we're going to professionalize the business a little bit. We're going to bring it in 2023. And one of those steps that they do is they bring in a, you know, CRM, they upgrade the emails service, you know, they get G Suite emails. They start to do these things to modernize the business. So I think a lot of industries, this is totally me thinking, I have no data to back this up, but a lot of those industries that were maybe tech averse to begin with now are, are seeing that, oh, this can really, really help us, you know, close deals, make money be more efficient, et cetera. We're to- absolutely seeing that. And you're seeing it in like manufacturing, for example, which I think is traditionally, especially mid-size or small manufacturing companies where it's maybe family owned. And now you have, you know, the baby boomer guy who's maybe retiring or selling the business. And he's, he's got a bunch of younger people who are like, we need e-commerce. We need a CRM. We got to get off spreadsheets. And you're definitely seeing some of those dynamics. And I think it's good for SaaS, frankly. Yeah, I think it's good for SaaS. It's great for the businesses too. I mean, yeah. you know, even the t- the taco shop around the corner, it was funny. They were like a old school register, you know, charge you if you use your credit card, just like that was their thing. And then, but a year ago, they got a Square reader and they started accepting Square and accepting, yeah. you know, digital payment. And I talked with the guy and I said, how is that affecting business? He said, oh, we're making 15% more money because people didn't tip before on tacos and now they're tipping using the POS. And I'm like, oh, but you, you know, it's just a small example, this taco shop investing in some tech and investing in software, and it's pulling a money lever for them. 
You know, they shut down yeah. for a week to take their whole taco. They all went on vacation. The whole family who runs it, they were like, oh, yeah, we're shutting down for a week and going on vacation. I'm like, could you do that a year ago? They're like, absolutely not. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is firsthand, you know, how technology and things like implementing CRM and just- That's fascinating. Professionalizing yeah. the business can really help, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, with that said, there's still about 30% of companies that come to us that still are on spreadsheets, you know, which if, if it's a- sizable company, it still blows my mind that they're operating that way. You know, I mean, the only thing you can say about a first spreadsheet is it's flexible, right? It's maybe the only thing you can say about it uh, and everybody can get to it. Other than that, um, it's got a whole lot of downsides. There's also what I'll call the uh, founder ego slash insecurity where they don't want to give up the keys to the data or keys to the kingdom, which I've seen play out. And one of the biggest uh, garbage removal companies in the country, we got to see under the hood and basically they're emailing back and forth Excel sheets. And I was like, how is this happening in 2018 or whatever it was Yeah, for, you know, a billion dollar business <laughs> type of, I was just like, this is wild. So Amazing. I think more and more companies will come around. Chip, this has been awesome. For anybody who wants to learn more about Insightly, where should they go? And then if, also if they want to connect with you online, where's the best place to link up? Yeah, so insightly.com. And, and when you're there, by the way, if there's any interest, you can go into resources and click on Closing Time, which is our show targeted go-to-market leaders. And we have a podcast there, et cetera. So if you're into podcasts, encourage you to go to check out Closing Time on Insightly. And then, you know, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So you can look me up on LinkedIn. There's not too many chip houses, I'm pretty sure. Beautiful. And we'll put a link to both of those in the show notes page so you can go connect with Chip. Also, you can check out their podcast. Chip, thanks again for coming on today. Jordan, I enjoyed it too. Thanks a ton. See ya. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Sheldon. Hit that like, share, subscribe, all those fun buttons at the bottom of your podcast app, and I will catch you next episode.